want to thank Pat for working on the banners. You notice the change up here today. They're just beautiful. And they emphasize one of the key themes in the book of Romans from Romans 1.17, that the righteous will live by faith. And that's what we're going to be talking about, uh, these things that relate to the gospel this morning. I'd like to read this passage of Scripture for us, and then we'll pray together. Romans 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we look at uh, this portion of Scripture this morning, as we begin our study in the book of Romans, would you speak to us? Would you, by your Holy Spirit, do a work in our heart that would bring renewal, revival, encouragement, strength, faith, all of the things that you intend to to accomplish in us through this series? We commit ourselves to you and to honoring your word, and so as we listen to it today, would it do its work in our heart? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was looking back on a sermon series that I've done in the past. I realized it wasn't, uh, or the last time that we spoke on this book was 1991. That's going back quite a ways. And I'm curious, how many of you were even here in 1991? Would you raise your hand if you were here? Okay, we got some. But I know there's been a lot of changes through the years and a lot of people who have come uh, to be a part of this church. The Epistle to the Romans is an amazing letter. It is well worth our study. Uh, it is the most complete description of the gospel that we have in Scripture, as Paul lays this out. Paul had now been in ministry some 22 years. He had been planting churches all around the Mediterranean world as he went on his missionary journeys. He has thought about the gospel a lot. He has preached it, taught it. And now he puts it together in writing. Some view this maybe as his last will and testament, you know, if you will. That he was putting down what he taught so that it could be recorded. Because he knew the authority that he had been given by Jesus Christ as an apostle. And so what he wrote is the word of God that God intended for us to hear. Paul was in Corinth at the time that he wrote this book. It's around A.D. 57 as he is writing. And he wrote this to the Christians in Rome because he had never been there. Here was a church that had started, we think, most likely, uh, it, it was believers who had returned to Rome after Pentecost. Lay people, lay leaders who came back and started this church in Rome that was now healthy and growing. And Paul wrote not to correct them, but to instruct them, to teach them about the gospel that he taught. 
And Paul also shared this as an introduction from himself because he intended to go to Rome on his way to Spain. Paul's still thinking of those regions of the world that have yet to hear about Jesus Christ. And so he's planning his next missionary journey. And he wants to go to Rome and then be sent from there as a base on to Spain to continue this work that God has called him to as an apostle to the Gentiles. The impact that this letter has had upon the church is profound. Uh, It can hardly be overstated. When you look at some of the people that were converted simply by reading and studying this book, it's a who's who's list of Christianity. Augustine was converted in 386 A.D. by reading Romans 13, 13 and 14 that called him to put aside the deeds of darkness and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he thought of his own life as a young man who was living in immorality and the frustration also that he was feeling in his life and he came to Christ as he read this book. And his writings on sin and justification would would shape Western theology for centuries. Martin Luther was a theology professor at the University of Wittenberg. In 1515, when he was teaching his theology students the book of Romans. And as he was studying this book, he kept wrestling with what does this phrase mean, the righteousness of God? And how is it that we as sinners can be made right in God's sight? And it was as he was studying and wrestling over this book that God opened his eyes to see that we are justified by faith and not by works. It is an act of God's grace. And the Reformation was born. And then again, a number of years later, May 24, 1738, a discouraged young man named John Wesley went to a society meeting in Aldersgate. He said he went that night very unwillingly. And someone that night was reading Luther's preface to his commentary on Romans. And as he heard Luther describe the change that takes place in a person's heart by faith in Christ, Wesley felt his own heart strangely warmed, as he put it. And he felt that he did trust in Christ, in Christ alone for his salvation. And the English revival was born. F.F. Bruce writes that there is no telling what may happen when people begin to study the epistle to the Romans. It may be today that there is an unwilling young man in our congregation or an unwilling young woman who's maybe not as excited to hear these things today, but God wants to do a work in your heart. And if you will be open and listen to what He will say, God may do a great work in and through you. So where do we begin? Well, verses 1 to 7 of chapter 1 are like an overture to a musical. You know how an overture introduces the themes that are going to be played throughout the musical or the concert? That's what happens here in Romans chapter 1 as Paul introduces this letter. And the book of Romans was written to help us understand the gospel. The theme of Romans is the gospel. And this book was written to help us understand it and its implications for our life and for our world. And today we're going to be looking at three things in the beginning. We're going to talk about the man, 
Apostle Paul. We're going to talk about his message, the gospel. And we're going to talk about the mission, the assignment that he was given. But I want to do this in a way that brings it home for us in application. And so as you listen to these three points, I want you to think about your own life and what God is doing in you. Number one, God has a plan for your life and mine, just like he did for the Apostle Paul. When we come to this letter, it follows a typical format of that time. Letters in the New Testament uh, had a common form. You would have the name of the person who was writing the letter was given first. Here it's Paul. You have who, what the letter was going to be about, and so he states his reason for writing. Then you have who the letter was to. It was to the Romans, and then comes this greeting of grace and peace to them, and then would follow the body of the letter. It was a typical form for that time. So the person who wrote this letter is Paul. And what do we know about Paul, the apostle? I think it's good for us from time to time to kind of step back and review what we know. For some, this is a review. For others, it may be new for you to think about it in this way. But Paul was a man who had grown up in the city of Tarsus, which is in southern Turkey. It was a Greek city with a well-known university. And it is very likely that Paul studied at that secular university. His Greek was excellent. His knowledge of the time and the period was excellent. He was well trained. And so here God was using his personal background that would be part of his ministry to come. Paul was also a Jew. He was an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, His original name, or his name was Saul, as a given name, he was named after Israel's first king, Saul, who was also from the tribe of Benjamin. And later, when he came to know Christ, his name was changed to Paul. His father was a Pharisee, and Paul would become a Pharisee. He was trained under the leading rabbi of that time, Gamaliel. And probably about age 15 is when he started his training under Gamaliel, which is really interesting. So here he is getting a secular training. He's getting this Jewish religious training. All of those things are going to come together in his life. Paul was also a Roman citizen, something that would be very valuable in his travels for that time. But he was also a man who was so zealous in his faith in Judaism that he was a persecutor of the early church. He wanted to see those early Christians put to death because he believed that what they were saying about Jesus Christ was blasphemy. How could this man, Jesus, be God? And it was on his way to Damascus to arrest and put to death Christians in that city where Paul met the living Christ and his life was changed. He had this dramatic personal encounter with Jesus Christ that left him blind, stunned. And it was later when Ananias was sent to come and talk to him and to tell him what God was doing that his eyes were open and he saw who Jesus Christ really is. I share all of this because the fact that Paul would even write a book like this, a letter like this, is amazing. I mean, it'd be like somebody today who was a leading atheist, converted to Christ, and shares what God had done. Or somebody who was even a a terrorist today. Or someone who is hostile to Christianity. And they encounter the living Christ. And their life is changed. And they go on to become 
a messenger of the gospel. That's what this was like. I mean, people were stunned. Those who knew Paul couldn't believe the change that had taken place in him. But how does Paul identify himself in this letter? Well, he begins by calling himself a servant of Christ Jesus. I mean, think about that. Out of all the things that he could have said about himself, you know, I've got the degrees, I've studied in this, he's not putting initials behind his name, he's not saying, you know, you need to listen to me because of all these kind of credentials. No, he says, I am a servant of Christ Jesus. The word he uses, doulos, means a willing servant, a bondservant. I have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. He also states that he has been called to be an apostle. It was a fact that never ceased to amaze Paul. Paul called himself the chief of sinners, the worst of the worst, a persecutor of the church. It was only by God's grace that he had been called to be an apostle. An apostle is a messenger, someone who is sent with a message by someone else who is an authority above them. And Paul knew he was under the lordship of Jesus Christ and he was a messenger for Jesus Christ. What's interesting, when you look at Paul's life, and again, I share these things to give you a better idea of of what is going on in this time period and to also help you understand how profound these things are. How did Paul learn the gospel? Well, Paul didn't, you know, travel with Jesus in his three years of ministry like the other apostles did. Paul, after his conversion, goes to Arabia where he learns from Jesus by revelation the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's so amazing is when he comes together and later will meet with Barnabas and Peter and the others, the gospel that he preaches is the gospel that they are preaching. Two independent strains, if you will, coming together and they are the same as a confirmation of the power of the gospel. And Paul knows that he has been set apart for this gospel. This is his life work. Everything in his life that God has done has prepared him for this calling. And he will do it to the fullest. Just like the Apostle Paul, God has a plan for you and me. For your life and my life. And how do we find out what that is? Well, the only way that we can find that out is by walking with Christ. Where we come and it begins when we yield ourselves to Him and we say, Here I am, Lord. Would you use me? And He will use the circumstances of your life. He'll use the experiences, the training, the gifts that you have. All of that according to His perfect plan when we are open to His leading. And He'll show us what we need to do one day at a time, one step at a time. Our responsibility is simply to follow Him in obedience to what He has asked us to do. This past week, there was a popular Vikings football player who died. His name was Wally Hilgenberg. He was 66 years old, and he had Lou Gehrig's disease. For a man who had been so strong in his life, I'm sure this had to be a very, very difficult trial that he went through. And yet he did it with such courage and grace and even joy. Stu Voigt, who was a friend of his, talked about how he was the kind of guy you just like to be around. You felt better after being with him. I mean, you go thinking you were going to encourage him, and he encouraged you. 
He played for the Vikings back in those years when uh, they were in the 70s and going to the Super Bowl on some of those teams. There was a good article about him in the Pioneer Press. It said that Wally Hilgenberg was a great football player, but he would tell you that the most important thing about him was his faith in Jesus Christ. I remember when we had Wally speak to our men's group many years ago. That might have been back in 91 too or around that time, I'm not sure. But we were meeting in the high school still, and he came out and spoke to the men who were here and shared his testimony of the change that God had made in his life. Wally was known to say and he said, this statement, and he said it to many people at the end of his life. He said, you know, it's not when you go that's important, but it's where you go that's most important. It's not when you go, but where you go that's most important. And he used his life as an opportunity to tell others about Jesus Christ because he wanted them to know Jesus too. I'm sure this is not a plan that he would have chosen for his life, but it's the direction his life took. And he chose to honor God even in the midst of his suffering and trials, and God used him as a witness to many people. God has a plan for your life and mine. I don't know what that plan is. You don't either. But God does, and He wants us to trust Him and walk with Him and use our time and our talents, our gifts, to the fullest for His glory. God also has a message for you to share. And we see that here in Romans 1, verses 2 to 4, when we think about Paul and the message God had given to him. The message that God has given us to share is the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And sometimes we forget how good that good news really is. We sang about it this morning when our chains had been gone and we have been set free. I mean, imagine that you were a prisoner in a jail and you had been there for many years and you had no hope of ever getting out again. And you, like in that time period, found yourself in chains that would either be stocks or you are shackled together as a slave and you have no hope of release. And then one day, the news comes that someone has paid your debt and you are free. How would you feel? I mean, that that's good news. There's release, there's freedom, there's joy. You can think about it also for a soldier who is in war. And I think about those soldiers in World War II who were fighting in combat and they got the news that the war was over. There was joy in the streets. There were people shouting and celebrating because the troops were going to be coming home. This is that kind of good news. It's the good news of salvation that we who were in bondage, we who were enslaved, can be forgiven by Jesus Christ. That's the Gospel that we preach. And what does Paul want us to know about this Gospel? Well, he tells us, first of all, that this is God's Gospel. It is the Gospel of God. He will say in Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12, that I want you to know, brothers, that the Gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This is God's idea. This isn't my idea. This is His good news. He tells us also that the Gospel is rooted in the Old Testament Scriptures. 
And Paul will quote from the Old Testament liberally in the book of Romans to show that. He wants us to know that this is the gospel that God promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding His Son. You can trace that gospel all the way back to the Garden of Eden where God spoke about the seed that was to come who would crush Satan's head. You can trace it all the way through in the promise given to Abraham that through his line would come this seed who would be a blessing to all the earth. And that through Abraham, all the nations on the earth would be blessed. You can follow it through the line of the kings and the word of the prophets in Scripture that all spoke about this one who would come. The Gospel is rooted in the Old Testament Scriptures. And thirdly, the Gospel is about Jesus Christ. He is the focus of it. It's not us. It's not the church who is the focus. It is Jesus Christ who is the one that we lift up. And who is Jesus? Well, He tells us here that regarding His Son, by His human nature, He was the descendant of David. Jesus Christ is true man. A descendant of David, the Messiah. But He also tells us that through the Spirit of holiness, He was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. He is true man. He is true God. And the proof of it is His resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus, again, is central to our faith. It is the proof that what He said is true. And Paul will also say that He is Lord. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is not just an example to follow. He is to be honored and obeyed. He's the King. He's the Lord. He's sovereign over the universe. This is the Gospel that Paul preached. This is the Gospel that we are to share also. And it is very important that we get it right. Because there are many who want to distort the Gospel or make it say what it doesn't say or water it down in some way by implying that all religions are the same. Or that it really doesn't matter what you believe. Just be a good person. Or that somehow, uh, in the end, uh, God would not send anyone to hell. And they began to say that isn't believing in Jesus just a little bit too narrow? That's not what Paul would say. Paul would say that there is no other hope for man. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. There's no other Savior. There's no other Messiah. In fact, in Galatians 1.8, Paul said, If even we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. That's how important it is that we get the message right. And then thirdly, God has a work for you to do. Just like Paul had an assignment, we have an assignment, if you will. And Paul shares his assignment in verses 5-7. to Paul's assignment was to bring the Gospel to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish world, and that included the Romans. So even though he had never been there, Paul, by virtue of his assignment as an apostle, had authority over them. And so he writes this book to confirm what they have heard about Jesus Christ and to instruct them in terms of the Gospel. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. 
But Paul, again, never felt worthy of that assignment. He knew it was only by God's grace that his life had been changed. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 14 to 16, he would say that the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on Him and receive eternal life. Paul knew that it was God's grace that had changed his life and given him this ministry. And he did that faithfully out of devotion to Jesus Christ. God has called us to be his messengers too. He's got a field for us to work in, an assignment that he has given us, and that's why I said last week, you know, that all of us have a sphere of influence of friends and co-workers and relationships that we have in the community that are an opportunity for us to live for Christ and to also be a witness for Christ. And Paul wants us to think like that. Think like a missionary where we live and use those opportunities that we have to build bridges so that we might have that opportunity to tell someone about Jesus Christ. We are to call people to the obedience that comes from faith. That's what Paul here says, that through Him and for His name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. That's an interesting phrase and one that's been chewed on a lot. What does that mean, the obedience that comes from faith? Because there's two different ways that you could look at that. And it actually may be intentional that you are to look at it both ways. You see, the Scripture emphasizes that faith and obedience can't be separated. True faith leads to obedience. Someone says, I believe, but they don't love God, or they don't love their neighbor, or they don't want to live the Christian life. That's not true faith. True faith always results in a changed life and obedience. Where there's such a heart change that someone wants to live for Christ. And on the other side, obedience can't be done truly without faith. I mean, just because a person may live a a good life or seem like they are obedient on one level, I mean, there are lots of people who can live a moral life, but if they aren't doing it by faith and devotion to Jesus Christ, it means nothing as well. Obedience must also be done as an act of faith. And so here are these two things. Paul is saying we are calling people to this genuine obedience that comes from a genuine faith relationship in Jesus Christ. But there may be something even more than that too. And can I say it even more strongly to you? That the Gospel isn't just an invitation. Come if you like. The Gospel is a command to be obeyed. For the Scripture says in Acts 17.30 that now God commands all people everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. And He has given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the dead. The Gospel isn't just an invitation to come if you will. 
The Gospel is a command to be obeyed because sin is rebellion against God. And He is the Sovereign. And those who live in sin and disobedience to Him are really rebels in this world. And He calls us to lay down our arms, if you will. He calls us to repent of our sin and to turn and trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. We're going to be talking about the gospel in the week of heads because, in the weeks ahead because it is the theme of this book. And so we're going to come back to what this means over and over again. But I want you to think about this message today in a very personal way. And I want you to hear these words as I read them. That God has a plan for my life. He has a plan for you and me. Lord, would you show us what that is? God has a message for me to share. That message is the good news about Jesus Christ. And God has a work for me to do. It is the great commission that He has called all of us to join in right where we are. And my challenge and my request to you today would be to pray and ask God for the opportunity to share that gospel with someone that you know. It may be this week, maybe next week. Maybe that you are just simply building a bridge here and sowing seeds. It doesn't have to be the full story at once. But I would challenge you to think about the place of influence that you have, the relationships that you have and who you come in contact with every day, and pray and say, God, would you use me to be a witness for Christ? And I hope that the fruit of that that we will see is a whole bunch of white roses in the weeks ahead as we are talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for those who took that risk to share the gospel with us. And each of us who know you as Savior know of someone who you brought into our life at just the right time, who spoke about a Savior, Jesus, and what he had done. And it told us the way that we could be forgiven. Father, may we have that privilege. May we look for opportunities to build bridges, to invite people to come and to trust in you alone as Savior and Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.